So, our passage, our scripture today comes from the Gospel of Mark, and this uh, comes from Mark 14. So, hear these words. While they were eating, Jesus took a loaf of bread, and after blessing it, he broke it, gave it to them, and said, Take, this is my body. Then he took a cup, and after giving thanks, he gave it to them, and all of them drank from it. He said to them, This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly, I tell you, I will never again drink of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. When they had sung the hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. This is the word of God for the people of God. So there was a, a moment uh, last Sunday. Everything, uh, people had mostly left after our coffee hour. We were beginning to clean up, and the only people who were there, I think, I remember this correctly, the only people who were there, I looked around, and there was Amanda and Andrew. Amanda and Andrew put together our uh, coffee hour last Sunday. And then there was James and Sheena. Uh, James helps run our streaming ministry, and that's James and Sheena over there. And then there was Julia and Shelby, and you, uh, many of you know Julia and Shelby, and it was just us, and then it just dawned on me, I officiated the wedding of every single person who is here right now. They are probably so sick of me saying that <laughs> to them. But I was like, I got a little sense of joy uh, in kind of realizing that. Because I really do, uh, I've been in the ministry now, this will be my 25th year of being in the ordained ministry, and I still really enjoy doing weddings. And a part of that is working with them, the premarital uh, process, premarital counseling, and also afterward, I really wanna know how are things going uh, and all of that. So I just took a particular joy in that. I certainly enjoy whenever there's a wedding or a ceremony and helping put together what is the liturgy going to look like? Uh, how do we want it to make it both a, a worshipful experience, but also being attentive to who the couple is and then afterward, usually, of course, the wedding reception's got good food, and so that's a lot of fun uh, to eat uh, and drink and be merry. Uh, and then also, there is a part of any wedding that uh, I kind of have mixed feelings about, and that is the dance that often happens uh, at weddings. Now, it's not because I don't like to dance. I do. So whenever I am at a wedding and I'm not the officiant, that's awesome. Because then I can, my wife and I enjoy dancing, and we can dance and have lots of fun. When I am the officiant, and there's a dancing, especially if I'm wearing a clerical collar, uh, because sometimes I do, and I go out on the dance floor. Now, I don't know if people are actually saying these things, but I feel like all eyes are on me. Forget about the couple. I feel like all eyes are on me, and that people are whispering, should the pastor be dancing? And especially, should the pastor be dancing like that? <laughs> now, again, that's, I'm sure 90% of it is all in my head, but still, that goes, and so I probably don't maybe let loose uh, as much as I could, and I'm sure my children are also glad that I don't, you know, fully uh, let loose uh, in that way. But it's a question, like, should the pastor be dancing right now? Well, I ask myself the question because we are in this sermon series where we are talking about spiritual practices and emphasis both on those two words equally. Spiritual, of course, because we want to find ways that our faith is formed and draw closer to God and get a sense of how God is working in our lives, but also the word practice. It's called practice for a reason because we want to try them out. 
And we want to try these things out and sometimes do them well, sometimes not so well, but we continue to practice them. So a few weeks ago, Pastor Hannah talked about hospitality as a spiritual practice. Two weeks ago, I talked about prayer as a spiritual practice. Uh, last week, Pastor Emily talked about worship as a spiritual practice. And today, I'm going to be talking about singing and dancing as spiritual practices. Now, we are taking these practices because we find most of these two were practices that Jesus utilized in his final days. And so we are tying them together with both of those things. So the question is for us today, can singing and dancing be spiritual practices? So we often will focus on things, you know, that make sense like prayer, of course, we might think of that's a spiritual practice, but can singing and dancing be spiritual practices? Well, let's first talk about uh, singing. Shelby talked about uh, singing and worship last Sunday in her testimony, and some of you were here for our Mardi Gras worship service too, where we talked a lot about singing as a spiritual practice. And we talked about the many kinds of ways that we can sing. I used this uh, quote, this is a quote uh, from the theologian Don Saliers, uh, who teaches at Candler School of Theology in Atlanta. Some of you may know him better as the father of Emily Saliers, one half of the Indigo Girls. But Don Saliers uh, talks about singing uh, in this way. And he says that music is the language of the soul made audible. Music is the language of the soul made audible. And then, of course, we've used the quote from St. Augustine a couple different times that when you sing, you pray twice. When you sing, you pray twice. So singing, I hope that we can... Mostly, all of us get on board, like, yes, singing can be a wonderful spiritual practice that we can integrate into our lives in lots of different ways. Now, what about dancing? That one, you may not be immediately, when we list all the different kinds of spiritual practices, dancing may not necessarily make it to the top ten. And yet, we see in the scriptures, there are at least a few examples of people who are dancing as a way to experience God's presence in their own midst. In Psalm 50, praise God with tambourine and dance. Praise God with strings and pipe. And then you may know the story of second, in 2 Samuel 6, where David is bringing the Ark of the Covenant before the people, and he is so excited. This is what the text says. David bringing the Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem. David danced before the Lord with all his might. David danced before the Lord with all his might. And interestingly, the root of this word dance connotes that David is twisting and whirling. So David isn't just kind of going back and forth like this. David is going all out. And in fact, interestingly, there was an Instagram photo of David doing this. And so Shelby, if you could pull this up. There is David. So you might think, uh, the text, or people, he was wearing an ephod. So imagine, if you will, wearing an apron and nothing else. And that's kind of what scholars think that David might have been wearing. So when David is whirling and twirling because he is so excited, some people might be saying, David, let's tone it down a little bit. We don't need to see so much of David here. So we see examples in the scriptures of dancing as a spiritual practice. So I hope that singing, you can say amen, and even dancing too, you can say, yes, what a wonderful spiritual practice this can be in our own lives. So hopefully, if we're on the same page on that, 
then we would ask ourselves, are there particular times and places when singing and dancing are appropriate for engaging in these kinds of practices? Well, again, looking back a couple of weeks ago, when we were talking about the different aspects when singing comes into play. Now, we might think of prayer, of course, there are lots of different experiences that we have when prayer is uh, appropriate and timely. In moments when we are feeling uh, low, we are not feeling God's presence at all, we might cry out to God, asking, where are you in the midst of this, O God? Lots of different examples of that in the scriptures. If we're feeling particularly in a good mood, and if we remember to lift up songs or prayers of thanksgiving for all that God has done for us. So prayer, I think probably we can all agree, runs the gamut of our emotions, and we certainly see that in the Psalms. But as we said or talked about a few weeks ago in our Mardi Gras service, certainly singing is also a time that can cover so many different emotions. And we talked about the song, My, His Eyes on the Sparrow. We sing because we're happy, and that certainly makes sense. We sing because we're free, and we talked about songs of justice. We also inserted a section in that service, we sing because we're sad. And you might remember Pastor Darnitha Murph Heath talked about the blues and songs of lament. And sometimes we are feeling so low and so despondent and so curious about the state of the world today. All we can do is from our guts just cry out in song, wondering where is God in the midst of all of this today. And that's what we see in our passage here today. I mentioned earlier this verse in verse 26 that says, when they had sung the hymn. Now let me back up real quickly to give you a sense of what's happening in Mark 14. This happens in Mark 14. At the very beginning of Mark, Mark 14, verses 1 and 2, it says the religious authorities are beginning to plot to kill Jesus. In verse 7 in Mark, it says, Mark 14, after a woman anoints Jesus in some protest, Jesus says somewhat cryptically, you will not always have me with you. And then in verse 18, right before our text today, Jesus says, truly I tell you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. So that gives us a little sense of what's happening when we read this passage today. Maybe there is a sense of solemnity, a sense of something is not quite right. Why is Jesus saying this? Why is Jesus saying that one of us will betray him? So maybe there's some anxiety in the midst of all of this too, in the midst of this final meal and the disciples not really knowing what's going on. And in the midst of that, verse 26, they sung the hymn. In the midst of that uncertainty, in the midst of not knowing what would happen next, in the midst of even contemplating what might happen to Jesus, they sang the hymn, and not just any kind of hymn. Now, here's where we're going to bring back in Cantor Julie for a couple of minutes to talk about perhaps what song the disciples and Jesus might have been singing. Hallel is some of our, one of our oldest, is one of our oldest rituals. Um, that Hallel is some of our, some of our oldest, is one of our oldest rituals um, that's um, described in the Talmud in the Babylonian Talmud. And Hallel in Hebrew means praise. If you think about the word hallelujah, mm -hmm. um, you know, all so many words come out of Hallel. And Hallel is actually more than a song, it's a series of Psalms, six Psalms, um, 
Psalm uh, 113 through 118 in particular. And so the, the fifth book of Psalms is, is where these um, Psalms come in. And um, the, the service of Hallel, and it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's actually, it's a whole service of Hallel that we stand the entire time for, is um, traditionally chanted um, at three major points in the year during our three major festivals in, in Judaism, which are Sukkot, which happens in the fall, um, which usually in, in English is translated as the festival of booths. And this is um, what commemorates the Israelites wandering through the wilderness and living in temporary shelters called Sukkot. So we chant Hallel then. We also chant Hallel at Passover. Um, we chant it on the first and the last day of Passover. And there's also a section that's chanted um, during the Passover Seder when we retell our story of freedom from Exodus. And then Hallel is also chanted again in the spring, later in the spring um, at Shavuot, which is our festival where we um, celebrate and remember God um, giving us the Torah at Mount Sinai. Mm -hmm. So those are the three major um, sec, um, festivals, Sukkot, Pesach, Passover, and Shavuot, where Hallel is chanted. There's a shorter version of Hallel, um, just a sort of a trimmed section, still Psalms, that's chanted at the festival of Hanukkah, the festival of the lights in the late fall, early winter. And it's also chanted at Rosh Chodesh, which is our commemoration of the new moon, the new month. So it's, it's um, so Hallel is the service of, of these six psalms, um, and the psalms are all psalms of gratitude, you know, great emotive expressions of gratitude to God for everything that God has done for us. And so it could very well be that in this section that you are, are studying, that this was the service of Hallel that was being recited. The context of what's happening, Jesus is beginning to give them a sense of what is about to happen. He has told them, point blank, one of you is going to betray me. Can you imagine the pall that would have put on the meal? And yet they sang the Hallel. Songs of praise and thanksgiving and gratitude in the midst of this. I can't imagine what that must have been, all the different emotions and yet sometimes singing is the only way that we can name these. The only way that we can express all of the different things that we are feeling in our own lives is to sing in the midst of uncertainty, in the midst of anxiety, in the midst of anger, and what kind of society would kill a man who is doing so many good things. And it's, for, I don't know for, about you, but for me anyway, it is so easy to then make that leap 2,000 years later and distill all of these feelings that we are feeling about all the things that we are experiencing and seeing that's going on in the world, and yet they still sung. And yet they still sung. Singing can happen in so many different ways, in so many different contexts, as part of what it means to engage in this spiritual practice. Now, dancing, you might wonder, how can we dance with all of these different emotions as well. Well, you may know the verses from Ecclesiastes 3, the ones that say a time for something and a time for something else. Ecclesiastes 3, 4 says, there is a time to weep and a time to laugh, 
a time to mourn and a time to dance. Interesting pairing of those two together. There is a time to mourn and a time to dance. Not or, but and. There is a time to mourn and a time to dance. I was exploring that concept of what does it look like to dance in the midst of anxiety and in the midst of uncertainty, in the midst of sadness? And I came across this article written by this uh, uh, clergy person who's part of a Mennonite church. And she talks about, uh, she's in the Pittsburgh area. And remember a few years ago, the tragic Tree of Life uh, massacre that happened at the Tree of Life Synagogue in Pittsburgh. And she described that after this massacre, the local rabbi invited clergy and friends to come to their synagogue to be in prayer and solidarity the following morning. They sang songs all in a minor key. The words she described lamented the horrific occasion. In the closing song, she noted some people were standing and clapping, holding hands, making a human chain around the sanctuary dancing in the joy that transcended the sorrow dancing in the joy that transcended the sorrow and she humorously said as a middle-aged woman who grew up in a non-dancing mennonite culture i am a latecomer to this discipline of finding joy in movement how do we find joy in that kind of movement. So often when you think of spiritual practices, we think about being still and silent. And certainly there are times for that. But what does it also mean to find joy in the midst of uncertainty and sadness and to have movement? Sometimes not only singing can put words, but what would it mean also to use all of our body to express the things that we are feeling, the joy that we might be experiencing, but also the loss as we make ourselves small, perhaps, so we raise our fists in anger, whatever it is that we do. All of these things are spiritual practices, dancing, as it were, as ways to respond to how God is working in our midst. So let me bring this back to dancing at a wedding. Many years ago, a few years ago, I uh, officiated the wedding of a couple uh, who go to Urban Village, Evan and Tara Sharp. I think we have a picture of Evan and Tara. There they are. Uh, and so Evan and Tara uh, had gone to the South Loop uh, location. Uh, Tara is from Dallas, the Dallas area. And so they invited me to officiate the wedding, and I happily agreed. And so it was a beautiful ceremony on the Southern Methodist University campus. And then, of course, as I noted, there was great food afterward. And then, of course, there was going to be the dancing. And I'm pretty sure I had my clerical collar on that day. So I sat there, and I was there by myself. So my wife wasn't with me. So I didn't necessarily, I didn't have like a, a partner who was going to be go out with me on the dance floor. If I was going to go to the dance floor, I'm not sure who I would go out with, and maybe I'd be going out with myself. So as we're eating the meal and the music starts and so many people are going out on the dance floor and it seems like everybody there was such a good dancer and the music and all of these things and i'm watching this and i'm like feeling both uh joy at seeing everybody else dance and then also i'm thinking how do i exit out of here so that i don't have to go out on the dance floor and embarrass myself 
So I'm looking for the exit. I'm watching, I'm thinking, who do I have to say goodbye to before I leave? Because I, there's no way I'm going out on the dance floor because of these feelings of uncertainty and anxiety, inferiority, all of these things. So as I'm about ready to go, Evan's mom comes up to me. And Mrs. Sharp extends her hands to me. And I'm like, oh, no. She's inviting me to dance. Did no one tell her my plan to like scoot out the side so that no one would have to see this? And she was insistent. Because at first I said, oh, Mrs. Sharp, I don't think that's a good idea. She would not take no for an answer. So she led me out on the dance floor in the midst of my uncertainty and anxiety. And I did my best to try to keep up with the music and everybody else who was on the dance floor. An amazing thing happened. The spotlight did not shine on me. And in fact, people saw that the pastor was out on the dance floor and they started clapping for me and cheering for me. And a couple people got out their iPhones to record <laughs> the moment. I don't know where those are, and frankly, I'm not sure I want to know where those are. But what was amazing, and all of those inhibitions and anxieties and uncertainties melted away. And all I could do was just be present in the music and dance in the midst of the joy that I was experiencing. Mrs. Sharp was like God for me that night that invitation to come out on the dance floor. No matter what you are feeling, you are made in this moment to move your body to the ways that others are moving as well. Friends, no matter how we are feeling, we are called to practice our faith in so many different ways, including by singing out of our own hearts and souls, whether you can carry a tune or not, and also by moving our bodies in so many different ways, whether we are filled with anxiety and uncertainty or joy or whatever it is, all of these things are there for us to utilize them. And so I hope as we continue to practice these things that Jesus did, that the disciples did, that David did, as we practice these things, we might get a sense of God inviting you to sing and to dance, no matter where you are, as a way to grow closer in that relationship and in those ways. Would you please pray with me? Loving and gracious God, we give you thanks for the ways that you work in our lives and the so many ways that we can draw closer to you through prayer, through song, through movement. It is a miracle, this life. And we pray that you would help us to experience that and show that in so many different ways. And all this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.